0: Greetings, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hi, Dan. Good to wave eh? There's a lot of hecklers out there. That's what you get for being reasonably sarcastic as a person. Anyway, I wasn't nervous, Pastor Dave, about this message until you said you thought a 35-minute psalm was long. (laughs) Nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. (laughs) You guys are secretly like, no, seriously, that's not funny. Um... All right, so we should probably get started. So there's been a theme I've noticed, and I'm sure you guys notice, and it's a consistent theme in our culture, right? At Christmas time, at Advent, busyness. We're busy. I don't want to belabor the point, but we're very, very busy with a lot of different things. It's a common theme, and in fact, it's funny, because I was reading an article, and you've heard a lot about there might potentially be a war on Christmas. And then I read this article that actually said, no, there's not a war on Christmas so much as there's kind of a war on Advent, that season of preparation, kind of overcome with a lot of this, this busyness we have going on. And I don't know about you guys, but when I start to see the Christmas decor go up and I start to hear the music on the radio, I start to get anxious. Really anxious. Because I know what's coming. We're a family of five, we got a lot going on. It's a busy season, there are work parties, there are kids activities, there are all kinds of other Christmas parties, decisions to be made about those, lots of planning that goes into it, negotiating with family, whose house are we going to go, no I'm just kidding, that's actually pretty easy, for <laughs> praise God for that. But I start to get a little bit anxious when that kind of thing happens, and it kind of leads me, kind of leads me this question, why in the world do I do this? Year after year after year. I'm kind of a self-confessed, and Beth would back this up, Clark Griswold. I make more work out of Christmas stuff than it needs to be. Fair enough. And so I asked myself this question. And as I was thinking about the message for tonight, as God was laying it on my heart, I, I was thinking, modern Christmases have a lot going on, don't they? There is so much going on. And it can be overwhelming sometimes, I dare say sometimes uninspiring, and for me at least, flat out, exhausting. So, after all that, let me say this, I do love Christmas. I really do. I love the holiday, I love the season. So what's happened? What is this busyness all about? Do you think that the busyness we often experience has anything really to do with Christ? Preparations for Christ. Some of it does. A lot of it doesn't. A lot of it doesn't. I mean, these days in our culture, you truly can have a Christmas without Christ. Lots of people do it. They put up trees, they put up lights, and they have Christmas... Xmas without Christ. It's an odd thing, but it's not unique to non believers. We're fully capable uh, as believers of doing the very same thing. We get tied up, we get bound up, we're busy, we got a lot going on. And we might sometimes forget, I know I often forget, why I'm doing this in the first place. So I started thinking to myself, I bet there's at least one being that loves that. Who do you think that is? Satan. He's got to love that, right? He's done a good job. You guys have probably all heard this said. He's done a good job making us all think he doesn't exist. Have you heard that? Is that pretty familiar? Satan's biggest feat was making us all think he didn't exist. What concerns me now is I think his next step is going to be to try and make us believe God doesn't exist either. And he's done a pretty good job because you can have a Christmas without Christ. What? Christmas without Christ. So a few thoughts on Satan. First, as I already sort of said, he probably loves what he's done with Christmas, right? He's engineered for us a lot of distractions. He's kind of engineered enough of them That if we go through them all in rote, we're pretty well distracted from God during this Advent season when we should be preparing. Second of all, he must really hate authentic celebration of the birth of Christ. And finally, just to be clear, this is not the Grinch we're talking about. He's really not. In all seriousness, this is the evil one, the enemy, Right? A couple Sundays ago, Pastor Tim walked us through Israel's history, the history of the world, in order to remind us why we need Jesus in the first place, the history of sin. And you'll recall that in the garden, Satan raised what seems to be the first doubt by asking a question of Adam and Eve. God had clearly said, don't eat from the tree. Satan said, did God really say, don't eat from the tree? really are you sure did you get video of it did you have it on tape Did you write it down and we know what happened but don't you feel that we kind of face that same question today it's the same question especially at christmas it's been engineered for us did god really send his son or really did he did jesus really even exist is this book of stories I mean, how can a virgin birth, a resurrection, or even a God be real if they seem like scientifically impossible? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, I've heard these questions before. And it's disturbing. Now, what's interesting to me is that these are, of course, fitting questions of the, uh, what Jesus calls the father of lies and Satan, right? But these are the same questions that the early church faced. And in fact, it's recorded in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. And by he, they mean Jesus. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's remarkable to me that that was captured so many years ago, and it's so resonant today. It's sort of uh, the modern equivalent, if you will, of the question we might face from people in saying, what's changed? You good Christian believers, what's changed? And sometimes it's a hard question to answer because we're tied up in our busyness. Maybe sometimes we're so busy we don't hear the question, right? Right? So in that passage there was the word scoff and I think that's interesting because the definition of scoffing is to take lightly that which should be taken seriously. Very meaningful to me because I think that's kind of what the culture does, right? It takes sort of lightly what should be taken seriously. It's a season of joy. It's a season of peace. It's a season of taking care of each other. Why? Why? Why do we do that? And the culture kind of has no answer. We just, we should. We should do it. And you know, sometimes when you face the question, what's changed, it can be hard for believers to answer. I don't know about you guys, but the news these days is very troubling to me. I have young kids in my house, so we don't watch it a lot. can never have it on because it's, it's, it's bad. There's a lot of bad news. Which is interesting because... At this time of year, as you guys know full well, we should be preparing for good news. Right? Amidst all this crazy stuff, all these distractions that the evil one works, God says to us in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Hold on, one one more time. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. How can we be still and know that He is God in such a busy season, such a distracted culture, and with such an armed enemy as we have in the Father of Lies? See, God directs us in Psalm 46 to look at Him. Drop what you're doing. Stop. And look at him. His sheer, unfathomable awesomeness. Why? Why does he do that? God's got a purpose in everything. Why does he do that? Because he knows that we'll be filled with wonder. And there'll be opportunity to turn back to him and his purposes. Can I get an amen? Derek House, I got it in. There you go, buddy. But keeping it real, do you guys ever feel like it's hard to have a sense of wonder these days? And I don't mean the kind of wonder you might have in watching the news and sitting there with your jaw on the ground and going, that really just happened? That happened? Not that kind of wonder. A stirring in your bones sense of wonder. This is a fascinating topic for me personally because I have so many young children like Jacob in the home, and it is so easy for them to see wonder And they hear the stories of God, and I see them read their Bibles sometimes, and you guys do, don't tell anybody, you do way better at that than I did when I was a kid. They're really good, they feed on these stories, and they see all this wonderful stuff, and when you're so busy, and I'm busy, it's hard to see wonder. It is, right? Am I alone? You guys feel that way too? So busy, it's hard to see wonder. And then you get older, and you got so many responsibilities. And my parents said this would happen, but I didn't believe them, and now they're right. you got so many responsibilities, you're so busy, and you're tied up, and you're like, and then Christmas just piles it on, and you're like, whoa. We have time for wonder. I was telling my brothers, the elders, a story when we were talking about this sermon that you know, Sunday morning, I noticed I was, we were driving to church, and I was getting on the freeway, and the sun was coming up, and it was actually a beautiful morning, but I was in a hurry, right? We got all the kids in the car. Beth and I are in the car. We're doing pretty good, all things considered. I'm probably flying at this point and shouldn't be. Getting from one expressway to the other expressway, and, uh, and the sun is blasting in my eyes, right? And I'm like, stop it, and I'm annoyed. And I was genuinely annoyed. I was bothered. So I took my visor down and I put it over to the side window and I'm like, take that, and I'm driving. And then it occurred to me, stop for a minute. There's a glowing bright orb floating in space that warms the earth and lights the earth. And I just was like, oh, I'm grumpy when we're driving to church. Sense of wonder. Where was it? Where was it? So, our own busyness can choke a sense of wonder, and so can other things. Sometimes we can have a real good sense of confidence in ourselves. And it's hard not to see that these days, folks. We've done a lot of stuff. I mean, man has done a lot of stuff, right? We can do amazing things these days. It kind of seems like we have an explanation for everything, And it's almost like the exception is when we think we don't have an answer. It's like, oh, we don't have an answer. I should go into that, get a degree in that, because that's the only thing we don't have an answer. Right? And I have nothing against curiosity. That's not my point. But uh, we're also capable of those great things. We split atoms. We bring dinosaurs to life on the big screen. It's pretty cool if you ask me. We determine the gender of a baby before it's born. We deliver packages with drones. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet, but I'm waiting for it. And we can actually print 3D devices. We can print 3D. Like, what? We can what? We can print in 3D. You want to create an actual 3D object, you can print it. I still don't completely understand how that works, but it'd be really cool to, like, print a new coffee mug. Just crazy. I, I, I have a thing for coffee. And then, I can't leave this out, on top of all that, wonder of wonders, there is an app on a phone for, like, everything. Everything. I got an amen from Declan, yeah. There's an app for everything, right? I mean, I'm partially joking, but, like, when you're like, I wonder if they have an app for this. Yeah, they probably do. They probably do. Yep. So, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton um, Catholic writer, once wrote, We're perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. We're perishing for want of wonder. But why does wonder matter? Why am I bringing it up amidst all the busyness and everything else I've talked about? Why am I talking about wonder? Because mystery creates wonder, said Neil Armstrong, and wonder is the basis of man's desire to understand. What would that do for our faith? Just a true, deep, in the bone sense of wonder at what God can do. What would it do? So I thought what I would do for tonight is to help us reclaim some of that by kind of looking at aspects of the Christmas story. I'm not going to look at the whole thing because Pastor Dave said I can't keep you till tomorrow. But there are aspects of this story I'm going to focus on, and if you'll join me, we'll go on a little bit of a journey here and see if we aren't amazed. And if we could just take time here in this service right now to be still and reflect on these awesome things, who knows what God can do through us? Let's talk about first, expectation. Before Jesus comes, there's a lot of expectation. We have to understand that there's almost 650 years worth of expectation before Christ is born. The Jews are under the thumb of pagan regime after pagan regime after pagan regime, pagan ruler after pagan ruler after pagan ruler. These chosen people of God, people of the living God, are subjected to the rule of others. They're powerless, they're dispersed, and they are more or less homeless. Their home's been taken from them for years. Now I'm going to give you a couple examples because we can't go through 650 years of history, even though it's really interesting and You can read about it. I'll give you two examples of the kinds of things that happen. They're kind of extremes and I think they're interesting. So there's Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a Syrian ruler and the Syrians overtake the Jews. And Antiochus Epiphanes goes into the temple, desecrates it, decimates it, and at the temple of God sets up worship of himself. That's a no-no. That's a no-no. So where God God's house, right? You know what the temple is. There's the Holy of Holies. That's where God, that's kind of like the first Emmanuel God with us, right? He's, he's camped out in the Holy of Holies, and you're going to come in, and you're going to set up worship of yourself. Whoa. I know if I were a Jew at the time, I'd have I'd I'd sent out a lot of emails and forwarded a lot of things, so i have been really angry, right? Really angry. There's another incident, which is, a, I think it's a couple hundred years later. It involves Rome. The Roman general, Pompey, after conquering Jerusalem, not only goes into the temple, walks right into the Holy of Holies. Walks right in. It's where God is, but he walks right in. You guys understand that the Jews wouldn't let a high priest go in there, and if he had, like, a heart attack or he fainted, right, they had a rope tied to him, didn't they? If I understood correctly, they tied a rope to him, because they're not going in there to get him. They're like, sorry, dude, we'll give you CPR after we pull you out. Because God's in there, right? God's in there. We don't go there because he's that holy. Pompey walks right in, walks right out unscathed. You're a Jew, you're wondering, where are you? How can you let this happen, God? What are you going to do to these people? Do something. Come, wipe out the pagan overlords, They'll stop scoffing at us. And then maybe there was another subset of Jews that were wondering, maybe God's just left. Maybe he's not coming back. And then, though, there's those who are hopeful. And the idea of the Messiah who was prophesied comes to them. And of course, this Messiah will be a great warrior. And he will vanquish the God-forsaken pagans, so they think. And amid all this expectation that's going on, literally hundreds of years' worth of desperate anticipation, desperate anticipation. What does God see fit to do? We all know. delivers a baby to a really good Jewish couple in a backwater town. right? You know I're familiar. Wait. What? 650 years worth of like a long advent. And the warrior king is supposed to come and he's going to take charge and he's going to set up a kingdom and it's going to last forever and they are going to destroy the pagans and everybody's going to pull up a chair who's a Jew and watch it happen. Except it didn't happen. Instead, God sees fit to give a baby to a good Jewish couple in a backwater town. Let's take a look at what God's doing here, because that's kind of interesting. Before we start talking about Jesus, though, I want to talk about Mary and Joseph. I would like to think that the first Christmas was as peaceful as the pictures show. I really would. I would love to think it was that calm. Maybe there was, like, snow in Israel for the first time. And they looked out, and it was good, and it was music. Except... That had to be, like, one of the most stressful Christmases ever for Mary and Joseph. I mean, it's the first Christmas, right? But think about this for a minute. Nine months prior to a really long trip, Mary finds out, hey, you're going to carry the Son of God. No big deal. That doesn't change your life. Right? Whoa! You got to wonder. You're sitting there wondering, whoa! And what does she say? She prays for that to happen. God, fulfill it in me. And then there's Joseph. Joseph is thinking, so she's pregnant. I don't know how she got pregnant. I don't know if I can stay with her. Then Joseph decides to go to bed one night. He's going to sleep it off. And he's, you know, more or less visited by God who tells him, Joseph, you shouldn't do that because she's carrying somebody pretty important. So that's stressful, right? Can we agree that that's stressful? You have the responsibility of raising the Son of God. (laughs) Good luck. <laughs> what? So what do you do? Nine months later, you send him on a really long journey. What? That's what we should do. We'll send you on a really long journey, and you'll probably have to walk nine months pregnant. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she was at the point where she was like, this could be a good idea. I need to get this baby out. I'm not saying I've seen that before. Going to get in trouble for that one. Um, but they hoof it from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What is God doing here? What's he doing? Is this wonderful or is this just like, is he laughing? He's not laughing. This isn't funny to God. This is serious business. Have you ever thought about what journeys do to people? They're not easy. There's more than just busyness that occupies us during Christmas, right? Some of us are dealing with very serious stuff things that hurt, things that scare, right? Things that can paralyze. God's got you on a journey. God sends Mary and Joseph on a journey. And when you think about it, when I started really thinking about it, I thought, what a wonderful idea! That's brilliant. These two are going to have to raise the son of God and people aren't going to believe him and they're going to face a lot of weird stuff because Jesus is like, you know, he's 12 years old and he's at the synagogue and he's teaching the priests. They're going to face a lot of stuff. So what's he do? He sends them on a journey. And they come together. I imagine they do. I know it doesn't say much about that, but as I was praying over this, I was like, they must have, right? He's taking care of her. She's nine months pregnant. They go on a journey and they come together. God does that kind of a thing through a journey. Think of the story of Joseph, right? Brother, sell him into slavery. Don't get any ideas. Sell him into slavery. What happens in that story? He becomes this super powerful guy, faithful to God, in a place where that couldn't have been terribly easy, and reconciles with his family. Who does that? God does. God does that. So we have Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph go on a journey. And they're driven together through this journey. And then, and this this is the obvious one, you don't get extra credit for this one, but there's the chorus of the heavenly host that sings to the the, uh, shepherds in the fields, right? Singing God's praise. And I love, (laughs) I love this idea. You're laying on a hill with your buds. It's dark, it's calm. The day's been crazy. You're tired. And you're like, guy's ready to turn in yeah and then boom boom, there's a fourth dude there you're like where? and it's weird because his feet don't touch the ground and that's not normal and you know you're tired but you're not that tired so you're like what is going on with this guy and he starts to talk to you he starts to tell you stuff and it's good news and you're like this is amazing and you're processing that right good news today a manger child's going to be born and boom Heavenly host singing. What? Think about that. Boom, your sky opens up. Heavenly host singing the praises of our God because this little baby is born. What? It's amazing. What the shepherds do, if you read it, they, heard, they put their stuff together, go find this baby. But speaking of that baby, Let's think about who he is. Oh, I I, I went one page too fast. So, we know this story very well. This is Jesus. No surprise. But, let's look at Jesus for a second. I want to take a look and contrast the Jesus who's risen, okay? So, let's look at the transfiguration first. You guys remember the transfiguration? Peter... Up on the mountain, Jesus. Jesus suddenly changes in brilliant white. Let's go to 9 3. Mark 9 3. Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. What did Peter do? He hit the deck. And he should. Because, whoa. One minute you're talking to your teacher, things are good, he's a deep guy, he says very profound stuff, and you believe him, and then he's brilliant white, so white in fact that what's it say? No one in the world could bleach him that white. Somebody somewhere else sure could. Let's take a tour now to Revelation. I was looking for where Jesus is described, and I happen to be doing a Bible study that's, that's covering this, so I can, I can attest to the fact that God pulls this stuff together, brothers and sisters. Let's look at Revelation 1. We'll look at verse 8. John, who's writing Revelation, sees Jesus coming, and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, The Almighty. can describe themselves that way, right? It'd be sweet to walk into a job interview and be like, by the way, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I was here. I'll be here. I'm always here. And that's about it. Any questions? Right? Job's yours. Right? No, it's kind of weird. I do weird stuff sometimes. I apologize. So that's pretty remarkable. But let's look a little bit later in this same passage at Jesus. This is the description, and I love this description, of the glorified Jesus that John sees. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. That's a giveaway. Dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. That's a holy robe. And with a golden sash around his chest. And his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. He can hold stars. He can hold stars. Whoa. Feet like bronze. Whoa. That's what Jesus was like. What did John do? He hit the deck. He sure did. What did Jesus do? He leans over, touches him, and says, Hey. What? So stop and consider what it means for a minute that this awesome, glorious God, this glorious Jesus, would volunteer to come to us as a helpless, defenseless, utterly dependent human baby. That glorious Jesus with bronze feet, a golden sash, white hair, white wool, right? baby. A baby. You guys know, I have a lot of kids. And babies are beautiful. I know it. I can attest to it. They're miraculous. They're beautiful. But they are not all that impressive. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. For the biology folks out there, they are impressive. I totally get it. They're cute little toes. I understand that. I totally do. But you know what they do, right? You know what they do most of the time. Think about that. Seriously, what? He did what? That glorious God did what? Became that? What? How wonderful is that? I mean, that should make us pretty darn well speechless. The Lord would condescend to be a human baby. I love this. During the children's sermon on Sunday, Sean was asking the kids what each person in the Nativity was doing. And when he asked, what was Jesus doing? One of the kids said, sitting in the hay. Love that. It's awesome. But hold on a second. So the Jesus that's described in the opening of John's gospel is the Holy Word who was there at creation and through whom all things were made. Remember that whole image of the Spirit hovering over the abyss and then God's creating things. And Jesus is right there, that glorified Jesus. That glorified Jesus is right there. And he's sitting in the hay now. He's fully human, right? So he doesn't even know he's sitting in the hay. What? Who does that? It's amazing, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Thank you. So, this precious, beautiful little baby in the hay is somehow Emmanuel. He's God with us, he's a different kind of God with us than we had in the temple, right? What a wonderful concept. He's the answer to the question that generations have asked of the faithful. When they ask, where's your God? The answer is right here. Stop on that one for a minute. Where is your God? It's right here. Like here. Right now. Whoa. This is remarkable, brothers and sisters, because other gods don't do this. They don't live among the people. Not like this. Take this story in Daniel 2. King Nebuchadnezzar asks all of his magicians and so forth to interpret his dream. Only one problem. He doesn't tell them the dream. They have to figure that out too. <laughs> That'd be the worst boss ever. Read my mind and then tell me what I mean. Whoa. Whoa. So, what do his magicians say? Daniel 2.10. The astrologers answered the king, There's not a man on earth who can do what you ask. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Listen to this. And they do not live among men. I love that God captured that one in Scripture for us. They don't live among men. Okay, oh, That kind of happens, right? We get so busy, we don't know what's going on, and we're kind of not paying attention, and it's like he's not here. But there was a similar story in Luke chapter 8. Jesus heals a guy of a demon, sends the demon into a herd of pigs. The pigs run off the cliff. The people like the people are amazed. People come out from the town, they hear the story, they hear the testimonies, they figure out it's true. And does anyone remember what they ask them to do? Get out. Good job, Keith. Leave. Because they're afraid. Because God doesn't live among men. What's he doing here? Whoa. Whoa. Gods don't live among people, right? They're not here. Except, of course, for the Alpha and Omega who was always here, always is here, and always will be here. Amen. And we know why Jesus comes as a baby, don't we? We do. He doesn't show up on the scene like a prince or a future king normally would, all pomp, circumstance, and so forth. No. He comes humbly so the lowly will know that he came for them. He comes as a human baby so we can know that he understands us completely. He knows pain. This is all in the Gospels. You can find this too. He knows frustration and disappointment, anxiety. I think of the Garden of Gethsemane. But he also knows friendship, joy, laughter. And then, of course, he also knows betrayal and death. And he comes as a baby to be our perfect Adam and ultimately to pay our ransom, the one we deserve, take on the wrath that we deserve and you can see that God sends a little baby and not a super warrior came because God is fighting something totally different than what the Jews were expecting him to fight remember when we talked about Satan we talked about sin God's after that because that's worse than anything any kingdom could ever do to any of us it's worse because it separates us wow is that not wonderful this is just the story, folks. It's all in here. I mean, this is amazing. This is a great God. He comes for me. He comes for you. What lengths will this God not go to to be with us? Wow. That's good news to a broken world, brothers and sisters. Now, there's one more thing to consider. I promise I'm almost done. If I had to write this story of a baby Jesus, I had no choice. God said it has to be a baby given to a couple of Jewish people and he can't be a super warrior prince with lots of armor and a big sword. i said, okay, I would have him raised by a pack of angels. That seems like a good idea. Make sure at least he's raised. If he's going to be on earth pack of angels. I actually have no idea if angels travel in packs but I needed something to work with and I thought that's, that's probably what I would write. He doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Gives this baby, this precious baby his only son to a couple of good people. That's good news for us too brothers and sisters because that at least tells us that he has some faith in us. What we can be with him Wow. But isn't that kind of the same for us today? Isn't it? Isn't that how it is for us today? See, Mary and Joseph were entrusted with Jesus, but so are we. And he said it, right? He left and he said, you guys got stuff to do. You've got stuff to do. I need you to do stuff. I'm going to send you a helper. And he sends the Holy Spirit who comes at Pentecost and he says the Holy Spirit's going to clothe us with power from on high. You and me, normal people, clothed with power from on high. Right? Whoa. Wow! That's just incredible to me. He remains Emmanuel, entrusted to us. That's Advent, brothers and sisters, right there. That is amazing. And you know, you know the story. I've only touched on aspects of it. There's more. It's amazing. So I'll leave you with one more thing. Small story. When I was training to become an elder, Pastor Dave was explaining when you do Kyrie at 9 o'clock and that's where the elder walks up and he goes behind the altar and we kind of sing him in a response type thing, right? And he said, you know, this was really cool. You can tell I thought it was cool. I'm thinking about You face God because God's up there, right? Pastor Day says, no, you you know why you guys turn around? You turn around because Jesus said, where two or more people gather in my name, there I will be among them. So we turn around to face God because he's out with you. He's out with you. Oh. What? How wonderful is that? Keep in mind what I'm talking about here, people. This is so important the golden bronze Jesus with a gold sash, hair like white wool, this amazing God right here, right now, accepting our worship. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I hope you are all richly blessed this season with reflections on the amazingness of our Lord and Savior, and I truly look forward to seeing what he can do that sense of wonder. In the name of Jesus, amen.